Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. As we get uh, into the Word of God this morning, I want to start by asking this question. Maybe I'm the only one who has uh, wondered about this question, but you probably have uh, wondered about this question. Have you ever wondered why would children lie and steal without anyone teaching them? Have you ever wondered? I just want to see if we've got witnesses. Have you ever wondered? Okay, maybe you have an answer, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. But I want to also just uh, make this clearer and clearer to us. I don't know if you have noticed that when kids become teenagers, there's something that tells them it's time to rebel. <laughs> That's why I was rejoicing that my son was up this morning to be on the sound desk. They just rebel when they become teenagers. I don't know who's whispering on their ears that now it's time to actually tell your parents that you've got this. Like there was a time I was a hero to my children. I've lost that hero status. <laughs> there was a time I knew everything. Now they know everything. And they also have uh, Mr. Google. It's not helping. They Google everything, you know. And uh, I'm saying all this because you don't realize the influence of the fall that happened in the Garden of Eden to our children today. You take it even one step further, even killing each other. There was a time we had to pray for families in Cape Town because we know of a family where a child was dared by his friends to commit suicide, and he took his life. Imagine children daring themselves to take their own lives. So not only are they stealing, killing, but uh, stealing and lying, but they're also taking their own lives. That is why today we're talking about the greatest story ever, one story, one hero. And who's the hero? Jesus. No other hero but Jesus. So when we look at the creation story, the fall, Israel, redemption, a new creation, we are trying to grapple with the brokenness of the world today. We're trying to grapple with what John Wesley calls complicated wickedness. By the time we end today, you will understand what complicated wickedness is. The things that we're seeing in the world today, they are all related to the fall, the demise of humankind. It is when Adam and Eve, they walked away from God's presence, from God's best for, for their lives. But I'm here today to say to you, all this happened and moved us away from God's original design. And yet God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, He brought us back to His original design. So just in case you thought that this sermon is going to be doom and gloom, it's all about sin, I'm here to announce to you that redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. You know, Jesus died on the cross. We just celebrated the Passover. And I want to tell you that Jesus died so that he can take us back to God's original design. You know, during the Easter and the Passover, I came across this song. Excuse me if I'm so passionate. This song messed me up. It says, if you think the blood has lost its power, you are wrong. 
If you think the blood has lost its power, if you think the blood has run its cost, you are wrong. The same blood that Jesus shed on the cross, it was shed for you and I so we can go back to God's original design. The reason the world is broken today is because of Genesis chapter 3. Let's go there and read Genesis chapter 3, the fall of men. Now we know that God had put men in the Garden of Eden, and God said to the men, you are free to eat of anything that is on the garden. And I know that some of you, you're struggling with, why did God even put the tree there in the first place? God shouldn't even have thought of putting the tree. But to understand, we need to take one step back. You know, the fall of Satan in heaven because God also gave the angels freedom. Angels can choose to worship God or not. And because of that, Satan, with the same freedom that was given, he chose to take the place of God. He wanted to take the place of God. And God kicked him out of heaven. And when he came to earth, he corrupted men and women. That is why we sit here. Satan wanting to corrupt men. And I want you to understand this because I know this is a, a difficult theological concept. Why did Jesus, why did God put the tree in the garden? It's because God did not want to treat us as robots. God gave us free will so we can choose to worship him or not. Otherwise, he would not be a just God. He gave us free will. He started by saying, you are free. And once he said you are free, he said, but because I love you, I want you to know that there are boundaries. And you know something that really, really challenged me was, it is because of this tree that we're going to speak about that they wanted to be like Satan to take the place of God, the knowledge of good and evil. With that context in mind, let's read Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tr uh, of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was, uh, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. The Lord blessed the reading of his word. So from this scripture that we've read, I want us to look at these three things that are part of the fall of man and the brokenness we have in this world. It is because sin entered, and now we're going to speak about the cause of sin, the consequence of sin, and the curse of sin. The cause of sin, the consequence of sin, and the curse of sin. The cause of sin is rooted in doubt and mistrust. 
Look at this. The serpent says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree that is in the garden? The devil sowed doubt in Eve's mind. The devil put doubt in Eve's mind. Let's take one step back. Why would the devil say you shall not eat of the tree of the of good and evil. You shall not tree, eat of this tree. Why would the devil say, but when you eat of this tree, you will be like God? It seems to me that the devil was putting a lie on something that they already had. The last time I checked, the Bible says they were created in the likeness of God. So if they were created in the likeness of God, how come does the enemy comes and say, when you eat this tree, you will be like God. You will be in the image of God. Already they were in the image of God. They already made in the likeness of God. So, I mean, bring it to us today. It is that when we believe the lie of the enemy and we choose not to trust God, we move away from God's original design. We move away from what God had intended for us. I know for myself personally, when I'm not in a good place with God, is because I'm believing a lie. I'm believing a lie of who the devil say I am, of who the world say I am, instead of believing who God say I am. Now, the interesting thing about the scripture that we read is there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 16, For everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This comes not from the Father, but from the world. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. If you connect this to the scripture that we've read, look at this. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, don't we enjoy our food, saints? Let's just be honest. The lust of the flesh, it was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eye, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. That is the boastful pride of life. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, is the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And this is not God's original design. So let's uh, look at these three. Material possession, the lust of the flesh, the tree was good for food. Our desire to possess things without realizing that those things end up possessing us. I like the fact that, Lebu, you shared about how we should honor God with our possessions. Be very careful that the things that God has blessed you with, they don't become idols and replace the place of God in your life. Nothing wrong with having a nice car, a nice house, nice clothes, but the problem is when we start worshiping those things and they take the place of God in our lives, material possessions, we need to watch that. Nothing is new under the sun. And I want to bring it uh, to close to home in a way that we can understand it. It goes like this. As long as we are not content with what we have, we will not be happy. 
We will always be looking for the next better thing. But the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. All we have to do is to keep God as priority. Again, nothing new under the sun. I want to read you an excerpt that was written in the 17th century. So you're thinking that we are facing complicated wickedness. This is where it came from. It is written about John Wesley when things were really bad in the UK. You think things are bad in South Africa? Just go into history. You will see complicated wickedness. I'm going to read this slowly because uh, it is Shakespearean English, which I'm not conversed in Shakespearean English. John Wesley attacked the injustices of class stratification, stratifying people. He argued and did not merely neglect, but actually promoted poverty, that we need to do something about poverty. One of his most consistent assaults against stratifying trends he observed came in the form of a critique against the accumulated wealth and property observed in the upper class of society. He said to ignore the plight of the poor while accumulating wealth and spending it on unnecessary things represented an injustice, and it significantly distressed Wesley. To those who spend money, for example, on elegant clothing, delicate food, I haven't said anything about sushi, just delicate food, you bind your own hands, you make it impossible for you to do that which is good so that you injure the poor in the same proportion as you poison your own soul. Interesting words. You poison your own soul. And so this is wasting of the Lord's goods in an instant of complicated wickedness since hereby thy poor brother perisheth for whom Christ died for. What he's simply saying is nothing wrong with amassing wealth and riches, but if we do that at the expense of the poor, something is wrong with that picture. If we steal money from the coffers of our country at the expense of poor people in our nation, that is complicated wickedness. If we see these political killings in our country so we can jostle for position to get in the, police, in the position to grasp as much as possible, we are debilitating and we are killing our nation. It is complicated wickedness and we need to call it out. It is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong. You know, when we talk about complicated wickedness, a different way to look at it is, why is our country having the highest unemployment? In the world, when we have the resources that we have. Yeah. Why is our country having the biggest Gini coefficient? If you don't know what Gini coefficient is, it's the gap between the rich and the poor. And it's no longer just black and white. We do have also black people who are amassing wealth at the expense of the poor. You can see I'm very passionate about this. Why is it that our country will be having so many people getting involved in crime because of this complicated wickedness of people siphoning resources because of material possession? At the root of all that we see in the world, 
as the lust of the flesh, as the lust of the eyes, is the boastful pride of life. The root of what we see, corruption in our country, is greed. And it is based on this force of let me get as much as possible for myself. And then you think, okay, no, that's not for me. It is for someone else. What about pleasure and entertainment? The lust of the eyes, that is, it was a delight to the eyes. It is, we, we not only want to possess things, we want to enjoy things. But I want to tell you today that the antidote to all of this is when we find our enjoyment in God. When we find our satisfaction in God, we don't have to go to the things of this world to try and fill that gap that no one can fill except Jesus Christ. So I know we can talk about sexual immorality. We can talk about so many things that are bad in our nation because of pleasure and entertainment. I'm sure some of you will know the statement, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. How many of you know that statement? Let me see. You're just exposing your age now. Okay, great. All right. People grew up with that, eat, me, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. What's the point? We're going to die. And then let me bring it to the young people in case you think that you are exonerated. How many of you know YOLO? Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, raise your hands. Who knows YOLO? Aha, aha, aha. Rex, you get to be in between, eh? You, you understand you're in between. You're relevant, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what is YOLO, young people? You only live once. Come on. You only live once. There's this thing. Just look at social media. Do whatever you want to do with your life because you only live once. It's the same thing. We want to just live for pleasure. This complicated wickedness is on our screens and statuses. It was an indictment to Israel when they said, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. God said, if you choose to do that, you are dying. Your soul is eating itself. We don't realize how pleasure can end up eating our souls if we don't find pleasure in God. Pleasure and enjoyment eating our souls. So, I, as I say, I can talk about different kinds of sins, and some sins have become socially acceptable, like uh, gluttony, for example. It is sin. There's a whole lot of other sins that falls under this that we, we, we just put away. But the sin that I want to speak to is, I don't know if you realize that alcohol is one of the strongholds for our country. Did you realize that during the time of lockdown, it is when they say there's not going to be booze sold, there was an uproar. Even Christians. If you take wine, it's between you and Jesus. But I want to read the scripture for you. I like how Proverbs doesn't hold back. You might want to take a picture of the scripture and send it to your friends and send it to yourself. Nothing wrong with enjoying a glass of wine. Maybe you take wine. Maybe you take a beer. You take alcohol. It's between you and Jesus, like I say. But let's read what scripture says about alcohol. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? It's getting close to home now. Who has bloodshot eyes? Babalas. Babalas. 
I need to translate that for our American friends. It's a South African term that explains when you wake up in the morning and your eyes are looking funny. It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks, thinking that the drink will close the gap. The drink will not close the gap. The drink will not take away the sorrow. The drink will only bring the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Don't gaze at wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. I'm now speaking to the connoisseurs, right? You know those connoisseurs, right? You know how they bring the wine and they smell it like, it's crisp. Rex, help me. <laughs> you know, they, they have good words for it. Bouquet. Okay. I'm learning new things. How smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. I'm just reading the Bible. You will see crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast, being tossed and fro. And you will say, they hit me, but I did not feel it. They didn't even know it when they beat me up. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Isn't that sad? That actually is a description of addiction. When you're addicted to something, you don't even realize that that thing is destroying you and destroying your life. You do it and you go back to it again. That is complicated wickedness. Where people are so enslaved by alcohol and they don't even realize it. So, as I say, some of you, I'm sure you're going to send me emails and say, Jesus created wine. Jesus turned water into wine. Nothing wrong with alcohol. The problem is being drunk with alcohol. That's what the Bible says. That is sin. When you are drunk with alcohol, it leads to all these things. It bites like a snake. The antidote to this is one thing, finding satisfaction in God. Alcohol. Sex, all these things will not close the gap. Only Jesus can close that gap. We are created for one thing and one thing alone, the worship of Jesus. The last thing on this before we go to the consequence and the curse of sin, the boastful pride of life, that the tree was desired to make one wise. And some of you may say, well, the first two, maybe I'm doing not so bad in them. But this one catches all of us. We want to achieve things. Maybe it's a degree. Maybe it's a, 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 a title. Maybe it's a position. I don't know what it is that you want to achieve. We want to achieve these things. These things are good, but they must not take the place of God in our lives. A drive for success, status, and fame. Sadly, many people draw identity from these things that we have achieved. We need to be careful that we don't draw identity with the titles that we have. We don't draw identity with the things of this world. Where do you draw your identity from? The antidote to the boastful pride of life is written in Philippians chapter 2. 
It's being humble. The Bible says, let this mind and this attitude that was in Jesus Christ be in you. Though he was God, though he was the son of God, he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. He stooped down, he lowered himself down, and he took the form of a servant. Jesus modeled humility to us. Can we be like that? Can we be like Jesus and not allow boastful pride of life to take over the place of God in our lives? I'm sharing all this with this question in mind. Many men and women have fallen because of these three. You think about any other sin, it falls under the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. Remember, that was not God's original design. Which one of these is a challenge for you, and what are you doing about it? So in preparing for the sermon, I like to do this. With my family, I will share with them, and then they give me input and feedback. And uh, this last week, I was sharing with them, and <clears throat> I was not brave enough to ask everyone on the dinner table, how am I doing on these things? You can imagine if I ask. Uh, you know, I'm thinking more for my wife. She was going to be so truthful and honest with me. So after dinner, I took one of our kids, who's a little bit like the mother. You can tell who it is if you know my kids. At her age, you know, I kind of felt like, hmm, I'm getting myself in trouble here. I said, girl, how am I doing with these things? I mean, you've heard us talk about them, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life. Any one of them that you think I can do better, as I know that all of us can do better in all of them. And she said, dad, you know this thing about pride? <laughs> oh, it was like a sword going in. And going like, ah, 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 you know, like, you got to watch that. And I think because they're so close to me, the certain comments I make and they can see when it is pride. And they can see when I am starting to go into pride. And I'm grateful that we can do life in community, not only with our families, where not only the word is a mirror for us to do better, but you have other people that can show you that now you're starting to get into a place you don't want to go to. So that's all to say I'm also work in progress just like you are. We are all work in progress. Amen. So let's talk about the consequence of sin, which is shame. What happened after they had sinned? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Isn't it interesting that uh, we as people, when we have fallen into sin, when shame comes, we try to cover up. We try to cover ourselves with our makeshift plans, but they don't last long because when humankind moves away from God's covering, our nakedness is laid bare. It's revealed. Look how sin is out there in society today. No one is even trying to hide their sin. Because we've moved away from God's covering. But I want to speak a little bit about shame. From a book called Looking Shame in the Eye. The root of shame, the root of shame is a failure to reflect the image of God and to prefer other images that we create for ourselves. We want to cover ourselves up with other images, not the image of God. 
if we allow shame to keep us down to the images we create of ourselves, we are nullifying the work of the cross and we are saying the blood of Jesus is not enough. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. We don't need any other thing to try and cover up our shame. Look at how the story continues. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, God walking and working with mankind. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. How do you hide yourself from the presence of God among the trees of the garden? But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? That was a rhetorical question. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, I hid myself. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman. This sounds so familiar. Every time when the man is called out, we blame it on the woman without taking responsibility. Can I preach now? And I know that the men are not enjoying this right now. It's just the beginning. We're getting there. The woman whom you gave me to be with me is also blaming God. The woman you, God, gave me. She gave me the fruit of the tree. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Why do you hide from God? Where are you? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. And let's bring it home. The primary sin of men is passivity. And the primary sin of women is impatience. <laughs> now, the scripture we just read helps us to understand that when a man becomes passive, stops leading, we are causing a problem. It is when we move away from who God has created us to be, to lead the family, what happens is the women in their impatience, they take over. And ladies, every time you take matters into your hands, look what happens. I'm just reading the Bible. The sin of impatience and the sin of passivity. I said it this morning while my wife was here in the first service that I know how I sometimes frustrate my wife when I'm supposed to lead. I am not leading and therefore it causes frustration. But let me also say that God's original design was for men and women to be equal. We're going to look at the curse just now. God's original design was for men and women to be equal partners with the men leading. It is the same as you have in a company where you have equal partners, but someone needs to be the CEO. Someone needs to run the ship. So I'm simply saying to you, God's original design is that men and women to partner together, to work together, and not for men to let the women step in and do something that they were not called to do. This whole passivity thing, we can actually spend the whole day on it. The reason why we have the whole problem of father absence in the lives of children, it is when men go into passivity. Some men and fathers are there in the home, but they're actually not there. Passivity. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes. Thanks to Adam and Eve that humankind 
was removed from the Garden of Eden and the created order, God's original design was lost. That's why we have this. That's why we're now going to the curse of sin to understand why this uh, imbalance happened. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head for shade of Jesus Christ. Jesus will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's the cross. The woman, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to the children. Can I remind you, that is not God's original design. That's not God's original design. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That is not God's original design. God created men and women to be equal. So when the scripture says he will rule over you, for all the men that are out there bossing around women, you are living under a curse. That was not God's original design. Exercising authority that I'm the boss of this family and treating women and children like you are the last best thing to ever appear. Sorry, let me change. I'm, I'm preaching because I've seen how, how men sometimes lose the place of serving servant leadership. Jesus stooped down took off his cloth, and he washed them, their disciples' feet, trying to say, this is how you should lead your families. You wash them with the word. You wash your wife with the word. That's the kind of leadership that Jesus calls us to, not the leadership that exercises authority and bossing around. I'm just reading the Bible today. To Adam he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate of the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Because of you, we have all these problems that we have. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, all, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, and to dust you will return. Now, that part there, by the sweat of your bro, you will eat from the food. Let me remind you again, that was not the original design. God wanted to walk and work with us in the garden so that man will not have to carry the burden of provision. The burden of provision that is causing so many men to commit suicide today, it is because of the curse. It was never God's original design. God's original plan was that we as men, we will partner with God, we'll partner with our wives, and we will be good stewards of the resources that He's given us. God, take us back to the original design. That is our prayer today. Take us back. Take us back. Take us back, Lord, to the original design. Look at how God was just saying, guys, I've got a plan. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living despite the curse. The Lord made garments of skin. Very important words there. Garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve. And he clothed them, covering their shame. 
God had a better plan. Men and women were meant to be equal partners. I'm saying that again on purpose. But now the husband will rule over you because of the curse. Let's go back to why the garments of skin. The garments of skin, it means God had to slaughter an animal so that God can pour and spill the blood as the foreshadow that the blood of Christ, redemption is coming to bring you back to the original design. So the blood that was spilled here for the garments of skin, for God to cover them. And I believe that some of you, God wants you to know that he's covering your shame. You don't have to live with shame anymore. You don't have to live with shame anymore. The blood of Jesus is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. Two more quotations I want to read for us as we wrap up. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, is the lust of the eyes, is the boastful pride of life. But that was not God's original design. The drama of Scripture, they write these words. We all know from our own experience that the world we live in is deeply wounded. But what has caused this to be so, all this brokenness that we see in the world? When we read about the life in Eden, we long for our own lives to be like that. That's God's original design. Why is our experience different? It is because of Genesis 3 that I've been screaming and shouting about this morning. It answers this question. Though perhaps without giving us all the information we would like to have, we are not told where the talking serpent comes from until we read, now I'm just paraphrasing, Revelation. Only later in the Bible do we learn that this creature is also known as Satan. Satan, when he was thrown down to earth, took the form of a serpent, influenced men and women, and that is why we have the problems we have in society today. That is why our kids, without anyone killing, without anyone teaching them, they are killing each other, stealing and lying. As we stand to pray, I've got a question for us. Can we all stand? How far are you from God's original design? How far you have you moved away from God's original design? And I would like us to close our eyes as I read these words of John Piper. Just to help us see how deep this is. John Piper says, If you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied in God. It is not because you have found that place of satisfaction in God. It is because of this. You have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great things that God has for you. What this quote is saying is helping us see that the reason why we are not longing for the greatness that God has for us, the reason why we are not longing for the peace, the tranquil, the glory of God that God has for us. It's because we have stuffed our souls with the things of this world. What I can say to you today, saints, is the closer we get to God, the more we see 
the impurities that are in our lives, the more we want to go back to God's original design for our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this word will torment us this week, Father God. This word will trouble us, Father God. This word will challenge us to go back to the scripture on a daily basis, to look at the mirror and say, why have we allowed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life to seep in and to steal our souls, to move us away, Lord God, from your original design. Our prayer is, God, bring us back, bring us back to your original design, Lord. Bring us back to what that which you've created us to be, Father God, where we can walk with you in the cool of the day, where we can work with you without this burden of provision, Father God. Father, I pray for each and every person that is here, if they find themselves, Lord God, far away from your presence, I ask that, Lord God, today they will find it in themselves to come back to your original design. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.